Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Megan. And welcome to October. It is Shocktober it for is us. It is Shocktober for Crime Curious. We're going to bring you cases, but we're going to also bring you a little bit of spooky stuff. Yeah, a little bit of diving into the spooky and paranormal mm-hmm. at our listeners' requests. Yes. Because yep. we know you don't like horror. I don't. You guys know that the whole month of October, I sit shaking in my boots most of the time. Right. She's <laughs> she's quivering now. She's wrapped up in a blanket, but she is rocking a fabulous new do. I am. You went dark. You look like fall. <gasps> Thank you. Yeah, you've got I the auburn. Fall. But I'm a little bit concerned that, are you leaving? Are you leaving fleeing the country? Am I wanted by the FBI? Are you? I'm not sure, but I did drastically change my appearance. So. Should I take a head count in your house? <laughs> Just make sure everyone's accounted for? My husband is still alive. In everyone. all fairness, I saw him on my way in. That's right. He looked okay. But my hair He was st- shaking too, though. My hairstylist was like, oh, drastic change. I'm like, don't worry. I'm not wanted by the FBI. I'm not fleeing. And you were, you're triple instead of BBC, we're at BBB. You're bringing bangs back. I am bringing the bangs back, baby. I love it. It looks great. Thank you. I've gotten some good feedback on the bangs. So I think I'll let them stay for a little while for like the three seconds before my hair grows too much and they grow out. Those of you that feel inclined to only leave a one or two star review, make it about Charnel's bangs and not the podcast. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That bitch talked about her bangs for 30 minutes. How dare she? (laughs) This is not a beauty contest or is it? If it is, we're pretty hot podcasters. I mean, I've been working on it. I I was, you've been working on your butt and I've been working (laughs) on my thighs. So between the two of us. We're going to, we're going to look wonderful from the waist down. Right. Or we're going to be able to murder people with our lower extremities. (laughs) Death by ass. Oh, it could be worse. It could. It could. What have you got here, babe? I'm, hey guys, we got a. I've got my 17-year-old piecing me out as I'm shaking the kangaroo scrotum. Yeah, nothing like watching your mom handle a scrotum while you leave. That's right. Have a good day, baby. <laughs> oh, and he brought a new female friend. Hi. Hi, female friend. <laughs> I'm Charnel. This is my friend, Megan. And this is the sack. And we're- You want to touch it? She petted it. Hey. You, and, she's and a keeper. Jacob, Jacob, who is this? This is Elizabeth. Hello, Hi, Elizabeth. Elizabeth. You're on the podcast now. You're famous. That's right. Whether you want to be or not. Jacob is going to kill me later. Yes, well. That is how you introduce yourself. Is is Jacob on the Patreon? Does he pay for it? No. Okay, well, you're not going to hear but it, this, Jacob, no, but your friends this might. This isn't a Patreon-only episode. This is for the general public. Oh, shit. Good luck, Jacob. <laughs> Bye, guys. And you guys, that was real life right there. I, this is why we don't edit some of this shit. That's right. I no. literally just met a very beautiful girl that just I know she's in. lovely. But in all fairness, your son is a very nice looking kid. He's, so he is pretty handsome. Yeah. Can I stroke this for a minute? Of course then? you can. Give it a little shake. Give it. The, all right. It's the sound of good luck right there as we record. Nothing popped out either. Unlike my bra when I do jumping jacks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Welcome to Crime Curious. So let's get on with this. This case is gnarly. So I appreciate our little lightheartedness in the beginning as we jump in. You're all welcome. Ah, yeah. 
So I'm going to take y'all to the morning of October 30th, 2015, which is only, as we record this, it's October 2nd. So yeah, this, this is, happened. This is just what then? Um, seven years ago. Yeah. Yes. It's a very recent case. Case. So we are in uh, Chillicothe, Ohio. All right. How far is that from us, by the way? You know, I didn't look it up. I'm going to look I mean, it up while you're talking. We I literally know. are next door neighbors to Ohio, so we it are. can't be that far. Ohio, it takes like five hours to get through the whole state of Ohio from where we're at. How far away is it? Four hours and 20 minutes. Hey, so it's damn near to the bottom of Ohio. So here it is, October 13th, 2015 in Chillicothe, Ohio. It was like any other brisk Ohio morning. A jogger runs by and notices that someone had attempted to decorate the local electric company's fence that was actually had just been constructed with a mannequin. And as they run by, they think nothing of it. Oh, God, I don't like where it's going. It is October, Megan. I already know it's not a mannequin, Charnel. It's never a fucking mannequin. I know. Except for the sometimes when it's a mannequin. A man named Todd McKinney, it was actually his company that was installing that fence. And he had arrived the morning of October 13th, 2015, to collect the equipment that was used to install the fence. He and his crew did notice what they thought was a Halloween decoration, and they believed that it looked like someone had poured red paint all over it. Ugh, it's not paint. No. The crew then noticed that the decoration was actually damaging the new fence, so they decided that they should probably remove it since they did just install this right, thing like for the company. Right, uh, your, like your Halloween costume, or I'm sorry, your Halloween decoration is adorable, but it's impeding, you know, the utilities. It is, it is, yep. So they go about removing it and dislodging it. What they thought was a decoration was actually caught and hanging from the sweatshirt that it was wearing. Oh. And so... Nobody dresses a Halloween decoration in a sweatshirt, Charnel. No, definitely not. Did it say Ohio State on it? I don't know. Okay. I'm not sure what it said, but it was a sweatshirt and jeans. All right. What they thought was a decoration was hanging about two feet off the ground. So when they dislodge the sweatshirt and lower it to the ground, that is when Todd McKinney sees hair on the petite arms and realizes that this is no decoration. This is the body of a human. Prayers go out to that man. Like in that moment, you have already handled this in what you thought was just an innocent Halloween prop. And then you realize you're touching. You have just touched and removed a dead body. That had to have been awful for him. And the other crew members. I agree. Can you imagine that point? Because you know that most of those mannequins don't go to the extent of having human hair placed on the arms. Right. I've never seen one no. like that. No. And so he just realized that he touched it. It was he touching the arm, um, or he just noticed. He it? just. I think he just noticed it. But yeah. his hands were on this. Yes, him body. and another member removed this body from the fence. The whole time they were removing it, thinking that they're touching a mannequin. Right. Okay. I will say the reason, because I know in your brains right now, you're like, now wait a second. Like humans are far heavier. The weight, the heft. Yep. This is a very petite 88 pound woman. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very, very light, very small. Yep. And the reason that no one noticed that this was a human at first is because they just thought this was a gruesome decoration because the victim's face and head were hardly recognizable as human at all. Oh, because in of terms, the trauma. Okay, I'm mm-hmm. saying in terms of the damage to the face. Yes. So this is where I'm going to give a trigger alert because we're going to go over what they saw. Okay, thank you. And why they thought it was a mannequin at first. They called the police immediately. And the police discover at the crime scene that there's a small female, about 88 pounds, like I had said, 
She had five stab wounds to her face, distorting it completely because they were over two inches deep. She also had stab wounds to the top of her head, her neck, and her nose was completely broken. She also had defensive wounds to her hands and arms, and one of her biceps during the autopsy was actually discovered to be severed. Her bicep? Her bicep, just showing how hard she had actually fought back to defend herself. She had wounds to her torso, and she had burns that went through three layers of clothing on her back. She also sustained spinal and brain injuries, but I need to note right now that none of her injuries would have killed her instantly. Oh, that's worse. Yes. So it's thought that she caught, she got caught in the fence by her sweatshirt and then left there to die while she was trying to flee her abusers. Okay. But we know already that she's a fighter. Yep. So when we find out who this victim is, and I'm assuming we'll get there, mm-hmm. um, whoever this young lady was, was a fighter, and she fought every freaking step of the she way. She did the entire time for her in, for her life at, right. at 88 pounds. Yep. I, I love her already. Yep. And rest in peace, but love her already. There was a rock the size of a grapefruit with blood evidence uh, on it. And I know that may not sound that large, but yes, when you really think about it, that that's going to do some damage to a petite head, to any head, really, with enough force. So they find this rock. It had blood on it. And they also find a blood trail leading from the rock to the fence where the victim was hanging by her sweatshirt. Around the scene, they also found a purse, cigarettes, other typical purse paraphernalia that you're going to find. Sure. But they also found an ID in the purse of a woman named Rebecca Cade. And she is our victim today. So this takes place, as I said earlier, in Chillicothe, Ohio in 2015, which happened to to happen right in the middle. It's like smack dab in the middle of a frenzy where six woman, women had recently been discovered and or disappearing. But these women were involved in drug and sex work. And so Rebecca Cade was murdered right after Um, I believe another woman, a sixth woman had went missing and she was not known to be in the sex trade trade at all or to have any substance abuse issues. She was known to have to be struggling at the time of her death with drug addiction. All right. That's unfortunate. So they do not think that Rebecca's case is connected with the other six women because it it appeared as though the other six women who were targeted were sex workers. See, I'm bothered already, though, because Chillicothe, Ohio, is not like a thriving metropolis. No. It has like 21,000 residents. Yeah, which is half the size of our whole county, Mm -hmm. and and ours is not large. And so you have these other women who've been killed, murdered here. And now they're going to say that it's not connected. Yes. I, I get a bad feeling. Yep. They're saying it's not connected because she wasn't known to be in the trick, the sex trade. Okay. But um, at the same time, the reason that I'm covering this case is because it bothers me that we see very little coverage of people who were murdered if they live in what society kind of deems as a more dangerous lifestyle or as if they don't deserve it simply because they have to do things that are more dangerous either to make ends meet for their family or because they're struggling with an addiction. There's a lot of professions that I want to point out that are more dangerous than others, right? Absolutely. 
And if one of them were murdered or went missing, we would give them the normal amount of media coverage. But simply because these six women were all involved in the sex trade, they're not covered. And Rebecca was, you know, struggling with addiction. I'm going to tell you, when I try to find basic information on this woman, it does not exist. Now, whether that's because I do know her family really didn't speak to the media and that's okay. I don't blame them for that. Right. But I, you can't find anything that doesn't say quotes like Rebecca Cade tried time and time again to piece her life back and back together. Friends would offer to help. Family would take her in. And every now and then when she'd get arrested or tossed in jail for a few hours on some minor charge, those who knew her best thought maybe she'd stay sober this time, but she never could make it stick. Okay, that's someone who is struggling with addiction. It sure is. It's a classic definition. But there's more to this woman than that. She was a mother. She had a 15-month-old son. Oh, young. She Yes, his name was Brian. She was not caring for Brian because she was in the middle of, of struggling with her addiction. Okay, so appropriately so, she wasn't caring for this child. Do we know if he was in foster care or was her family caring for him? He was with um, the father of Brian. Yeah. His sister. Okay, great. So that's yep. a family placement or yes. she placed him with her, her voluntarily. Even. I get the impression that, that maybe she did, that she placed him because she still had contact with Brian. The aunt who was caring for Brian's name is Denise Hughes. Denise did speak to the media a little bit, but she would say that, you know, when she was sober, she would come and buy diapers and food for Brian. She would come and spend time with him. Um, she didn't have a vehicle. Sure. Okay? She was homeless at the time of her murder. But she would come to Denise's house and they would go on runs. Denise would drive her and they would go and buy formula, buy diapers that she would pay for, for her son to try to contribute. Good okay? for her. So I feel like if this was a, a placement by the state of Ohio to Denise that contact would not be allowed necessarily while she's not fully sober. 100% right? agree based off of our experience. Uh, yes, here in Michigan. But people need to realize that if you have a substance abuse issue, if you are an addict and you make appropriate placement arrangements for your child, the state does not necessarily get involved. There's nope. no reason to. Nope, exactly. You've provided a safe spot for your child while you're in active addiction. Yep. And that looks like what this may that's, be. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah, I she, think you're reading mm-hmm. it right. It's a good gut feeling. That she was trying, you know, trying to appropriately care for her. Um, Denise went to the hospital when Brian was born. Brian did suffer from significant fetal alcohol syndrome symptoms. Okay. So there, those issues were, were prevalent right from the hospital. Um, Denise actually had Rebecca come home with her, with Brian, and she tried to care for him for a few weeks, but then you know, went on a bender. This essentially. is sad. Mm-hmm. So do we believe alcohol was her um, substance of choice then? I believe so, but it is never stated. Okay. We don't know. I think it was a combination of well, the withdrawal symptoms. Alcohol. Yeah. That mm-hmm. you see like that indicate a number of things to me, but if they believe specifically fetal alcohol mm-hmm. syndrome, then that would be alcohol. It's just, um, obviously you and I are aware that that could be opiates as well. Yeah. Very specifically. Cause they look similar in terms of the shaking and such that they do. Right. Right, exactly. So Denise did speak just briefly a little bit with the with the media to say that, you know, um, 
he was underdeveloped and he did have symptoms of fetal alcohol syndrome, but she was there helping, you know, take care of her. And after a couple of weeks, she kind of lost interest. And when we say lost interest, that was a direct quote from Denise, but I take that to mean she literally chose her drug of choice over her child, which I know a lot of people are, are condemning her right now for that. Right. But until you're in that situation, you really don't know what you would do. We can condemn all day long, and this is not a personal opinion, but it is a DSM-5 diagnosis uh-huh. for alcoholism and substance abuse, and it, it, it changes your brain. So sure does. research that before you judge anything, Right. Yep. as I have had to do. And and I like that actually in through all of this, I mean, Denise is raising her child and whatnot. I have a really good quote from her at the end of this. Oh, good. I like So that. Um, that really made me like Denise in terms of like she gets this. So I'm going to take you to October 12th, 2015. If you remember from just a few minutes ago when I said her body was found October 13th. So I'm going to take you through the what we know of the day's events before Rebecca was was murdered. I would love to tell you about what kind of childhood she had or when she was born, but I have absolutely no idea. And that's my whole point of covering this because that information is not out there. And I ha- I firmly believe it has a lot to do with the fact of, of her circumstances of life at the time of her murder, as if she has less, you know, right to have her story told or something. So what we know is that Rebecca and, and company... Okay, I never really saw friends be used here, but I know Rebecca was attending a bonfire where there were a lot of drugs. There was a lot of alcohol being consumed at this bonfire. There was a man named Donnie Kokenauer Jr. Kokenauer? Kokenauer. All right. Interesting or, name. Or it's C-O-C-H-E-N-O-U-R. So it could no. be Kokenauer. Well, do we want to consider him a cock already, Charnel? This is going to be a case where I'm going to have to let you guys decide. Oh, God, it's a you be the judge. You do know I have professional experience with that. I've heard judge, Megan, but maybe you do. We'll let the listeners join me in this one. (laughs) Now, at one point in time, we know during the night that Donnie and Rebecca hooked up. They had intercourse. Okay. Witnesses. If you've never been to a fall bonfire, these things happen. They do. If you've never had intercourse at a fall bonfire in the middle of a cornfield, you're missing out. You're missing out, Midwest people. That's right. (laughs) This is how you spend your Saturday nights, people. There's nothing else to do, Charnel. I know. You're telling me I live here too. (laughs) And also, you should all come to a bonfire with Charnel and I, apparently. (laughs) This is why we're friends. (laughs) So there's also a witness that that was sitting on her porch during the night. I'm not going to name her. She was named in the court reports, but I'm not going to because she's just a witness that the police in, eventually investigate and, or excuse me, interview. And she says, yeah, you know what? I saw Rebecca Cade get into a vehicle with three other individuals that night. Okay. So pretty immediately on October 13th, police arrest Donnie Kokenauer Jr. because they got a tip and they got a tip that from Donnie's sister, Lisa Frost, that said that Donnie had come to her house, which is only 400 yards from where her body was found. She said that he was bloody, that he was covered in mud and he needed to shower. He asked her to then throw his clothing away in a dumpster that she bagged up And she did throw away. Good for you, Lisa, because that's just not normal. Right. So the police come, they collect the clothing that was discarded, 
I'll tell you, the genes tested positive for Rebecca's blood. I'm sure. Yeah. The shirt that was, so Donnie was said to, after showering off, he apparently wiped himself with a shirt. Now, they collected that as well, and there was DNA on it that tested positive for Rebecca's blood. But there was also male DNA that was not Donnie. On Rebecca or on his sweatshirt? On the shirt that Donnie was said to have toweled off with. Which, okay, that says to me, Lisa probably had an extra shirt lying around that belonged to some other male. Oh, that's a distinct possibility. Right. Or right. here's this that dude's, he wasn't alone. Right. Here's, here's this, dirt, this dude's shirt, towel off. So we've got male, unknown male DNA. All right. We've got on this toweled off shirt, we have Rebecca's DNA. And all the, the reports that I could find said Donnie's DNA was not excluded from this shirt, which means there was Donnie's DNA Correct. on it as well, which he toweled off with it. So there should be. So at this time, as I had said, Donnie was homeless. Rebecca was homeless at the time that he was arrested. He was arrested without incident, even though he actually had a large, the police were very familiar with him. He had had 21 prior arrests, usually for misdemeanor charges, you know, drugs, alcohol. Some people collect unicorns. Some mugshots. Right. Yeah. Um, he did have a second degree resisting arrest charge. Okay, though, so that's right? your felony level, mm-hmm. similar to ours. It's two year, so yeah. it's a felony, but it's eh, just barely. Yep. So he did some some time for that. Yeah. Usually they don't like it when you assault police officers. No. It's frowned upon. But in this instance, he did not resist arrest. He went peacefully. He did have to undergo four different psychological assessments to ensure that he was okay to stand trial, and a judge did did determine that he was. I have questions. That he can stand trial. You may not be able to answer them based on the information you have, but do you know that in order to even get a judge to order a forensic on uh, for uh, mental on that, the defense attorney at least, or the prosecutor, it could be anybody, but usually the defense attorney has to be able to articulate that something in their conversation has caused them to believe that this person may not be competent and or criminally responsible. So something was articulated at some point in time that caused somebody, I'm going to say defense attorney, to believe that there was a concern with this young man. It was his defense attorney. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but in it, what he was sent to the forensic center then? Yeah, he, it, and it took... The trial couldn't start for 18 months. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Do you know, I have people right now waiting to get in the forensic center and it's at least a six month wait Yeah, just for them to be transferred. Right. So it's, it's crazy. And that's true. He went through four different evaluations. Wow. Okay. Yep. To determine this. Now what he told the police and he, they did put him on the stand during his trial. You have a right Which, not to, but a lot of right? defense tactics would show that that's a, that's good for their case. They put him on there, and what he told police and what he testified to is that, and so this is all we know, guys, we do know he admitted that he did have sex with Rebecca, okay, that night. Sure. Explains the DNA, not necessarily the blood. Well, he then admitted that the two did argue near a railroad trestle that was very close to where her body was found. He said that she bit him, and so he hit her. Okay. Okay. Why'd she bite you? Well, that was my next question. Biting's usually defensive, Charnel. Yep. And we know she had a lot of defensive wounds. Rebecca fought for her life. But Donnie said that they were at the bonfire. There was a lot of fighting, a lot of drugs and alcohol being consumed. And that honestly, he really doesn't know what happened to her 
after that, um, but that there were a lot of people at that bonfire that would have reason to want her dead. Wow. Yeah. Well, spill it all, Donnie. Yeah. No Give kidding. us the reasons. During the trial, the defense had several people from that bonfire testify that there was heavy drinking and heavy fighting and plenty of, of, of people that would want Rebecca dead. And they did testify to that. Okay. One man whose name was Joseph recalled that although he had drank vodka heavily and that he was, he did admit he was in a fight. How his night ended was that he was in a fight that knocked him unconscious. Oh, yeah. well, that's a pretty good um, way to not have to testify as so, I wasn't aware well, he, but he did testify because he testified that prior to Well, he doesn't fight, have a recollection though. Post. He says prior to this fight, he remembers seeing who Rebecca Cade leave through an alley and a woman following her, pin her to the ground and start beating her. A woman? A woman. But then after that, he was in his vodka haze and then his night was, was gone because he got punched unconscious. Hell of a night. Bummer, yeah. buddy. Yeah, it sounds like one crazy fucking night. Doesn't necessarily sound like a star witness to me Can't either. I would I po- poke so many holes in that, by the way. Right. I, voluntary I You're going intoxic- to struggle with yeah, this I'm one, gonna. just so you know. Voluntary intoxication, one, isn't a defense. And, and, and two, um, there's specific jury instructions that are given that indicate that you can believe the credibility of a witness. You can believe all, some, or none of their testimony based off of how they even act in court mm-hmm. or based off of their mindset at the time that this was happening. You mm-hmm. can also consider things like what was their recollection like at the time? Yeah. And do they have a reason to lie? You have mm-hmm. somebody here who I just am not going to, I'm not going to buy a lot of this. Right. I thought the same exact thing. He openly admits that he had drank copious amounts of vodka that night and he doesn't remember the whole night and that he was literally knocked unconscious but he does remember conveniently Rebecca Cade going into an alley and being pinned to the ground by a woman and beat because of it interesting so and then we have of course the defense called this um witness who came forward and said yeah I saw her around midnight get into a vehicle with three other people the one from the, like her porch? She was, yeah. She was just sitting on her porch having a cig. So she wasn't even at the party. No. I kind of think that this might be nope. one of the better witnesses yeah. so far. Yep. She was not at the party. She was just sitting on her porch near where the party took place. And this is what she saw. But to me, as a, if I was a jury member, I'd have to think, okay, three other people. Those, Donnie could have been one of those people. For that matter, fucking Joseph could have been one of those people. Well, right? since he doesn't remember anything after he got yeah. knocked out. Like we don't we don't know who those three people are. Now, the defense painted a picture of who whomever did this to Rebecca because of the seriousness of her of her injuries. They had to have some extreme hate towards her, and that Donnie had no such motive for such hatred. Now, you know I talk about means motive opportunity, right? Always. Now we do know that Donnie had the means and the mo- and, and the opportunity. He was there the same night. In terms of motive, we know that he was arguing with her that night. He openly admits that he got into a fight where he physically touched her in a violent way. Okay. Means is easy because he has the physical capability exactly. to be able to do it. Right. We are talking about these two-inch stab wounds to the face, which mm-hmm. really bothers me if you think about how big two inches actually is. Correct. You're welcome, gentlemen. Right. But if you actually think about that and how much, how little, we're talking millimeters, centimeters of skin For between your, your bone. Mm-hmm. Like, that's significant. It is. So, but he's he's a male, and we all know men are stronger than women. Oh, the Physically. sarcasm. The sarcasm is intended mm-hmm. here, by the mm-hmm. way. 
So we, he has well, those means. Well, we will, we can say confidently that Donnie and probably many of the men he was hanging out with were stronger than Rebecca right. Cade, 88 pounds. So means goes to basically everybody at this party. Yeah. And possibly even some of the women who can overpower an 88 pound woman. Exactly. Opportunity is anybody who is near and or at that location, which he pinpointed himself at mm-hmm. along with other people at that party. Mm-hmm. So this brings us to motive. And so far all we have on motive with him is that they had had an argument. Yep. We don't know what the argument was about. Nope. Not sure. No idea. And nobody overheard that piece. Nope. And we have one witness, possibly the only credible one, who says that three individuals got in a vehicle with her mm-hmm. uh, toward the end of the night. Yep, at, at midnight. At midnight. Yep, okay. at midnight. G- give it to me, baby. Okay. So we, what else we do know is that it never really comes out of how they know each other. I think they just were in the same kind of transient circle of in the area in Chillicothe. Okay. It's not a big town. And it's I think not. your addicts are going to find each other. Yeah, of course they're they are. going to find the people who have product and they're going to party in the same circles. It happens here too. Yeah. A hundred percent. Her family. What's interesting is that, you know, her family is like, listen, she never mentioned to Donnie, but remember Denise that I told you about earlier and how they went on like a diaper and food run yes. just a couple of weeks before, um, Rebecca was murdered. Denise said she just a couple of weeks before that had been beat up and was hospitalized. Okay, so Rebecca had a, a history of of being in violent situations. She was the victim of domestic abuse. She was, some way or another. We don't know if it was a a, a boyfriend, lover, anything like that. Okay. Or, or because of the friend circle that she hang, hung around. Or there, I shouldn't even call them friends. You know, so the, she the didn't group say circle. who. No. You know what? I have to ask you something. Yeah. Do we know who the baby's father is? It was not mentioned. Okay. Mm-mm. Just trying to piece together some things for yeah. my own benefit, but. Nope, it wasn't mentioned. All I know is that his family is involved with Brian, their child's life. His family is? Yep. Yeah, it says a little something, doesn't so, it? So I don't, I don't know. Um, but what, what Denise found strange was that, you know, yes, when she showed up just a couple of weeks, she saw her just a couple of weeks before her murder. She said she never mentioned Donnie. She never mentioned having a beef with anyone for that matter. She does know that she had been hospitalized because of violent physical injuries to herself uh, just a couple weeks prior to that. So Denise just found that really strange. You know, that here we have, we have this, she doesn't mention anybody that she's beefing with. So she really wasn't a whole lot of help in that, in terms of that, other than letting people know, like, we, I don't know the people that she rang out that she hang out, hung out with were violent people. You know, there, there were violent people. So not all addicts are, but her history seems to show it. If she was hospitalized prior to this for an assault and we don't know whether it was domestic or whether it was just friends. Exactly. Friends with quotes, by the way. So Donnie was held in jail for 18 months awaiting trial because of course he could not post his $2 million bond. Okay. All right. Yeah. Sometimes that's hard to do. Yeah. The prosecution laid out a good case considering the DNA evidence that I told you about, but there is a flaw in the DNA evidence that was found on her body. Donnie's DNA was only found in that vaginal swab. Well, his DNA was not found on her body at all. But there was a strand of hair that did not match Donnie, and it also did not match anyone in the system, for that matter, for known samples. I have some feelings. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, probably the same feelings that I had. Well, he had cons- possibly, most likely, consensual sex with her. So obviously the DNA would be found there. Yeah. But if there wasn't DNA found on her anywhere else with any of her injuries, this is this is exculpatory evidence. Yeah. The prosecution, by the way, has a duty to present exculpatory evidence to the defense prior to a trial and at trial. Mm-hmm. So I hope that that was done here or it's grounds for a mistrial. I only know what I know. only know what's here. Mm-hmm. Okay. The defense also called Donnie's sister that I told you about, Lisa Frost, to the stand. Yes, I said the defense. I can see you out of the corner of my eye staring at me. I'm sorry. This is how I normally look at people. Uh, is yeah. it intense? <laughs> well, the reason the defense called her is because Lisa testified that she lied to the police on October 13th. Oh, no, Lisa, why? Yep. She said that she, when she called in that tip that led to his arrest, she says, nope, I'm an addict and I would do anything for my next fix. And I was forced by a friend to call the tip in. And now that I'm sober, I'm going to make it right. And I'm not going to be responsible for putting my brother in prison for the rest of his life. Motherfucker. So Lisa, who is the one who is caring for the child? No, Denise is caring for the child. Oh, fuck. Thank you. I got confused. It's Denise. So Lisa's apparently an addict too. Yeah. And yeah. is Donnie's sister. But she just made herself a suspect. She's the one that called and said, hey, I think you should arrest my brother because he showed up at my house right. 400 yards away from where this body was found, bloody and muddy, asked me to dispose of his clothing, which I did, and showered. But is any Here's of that true? all the evidence. Yeah, but is any of that true? And she's obviously a suspect also. But Megan, they collected the evidence from her that was discarded into the garbage can. The police have reason to believe that her first version of this story is absolutely true. His genes then test positive for Rebecca's blood DNA. All right. But now she's recanting. Because in her quote, I will not be responsible for for putting my brother away for life. Okay. So you are now, responsible, honey, and Lisa. He is. And she's claiming that because now, 18 months later at the trial, she is sober. She's thinking clear-mindedly. And that what happened, I'm also not going to use this person's name. There is a friend that Lisa called the night that this happened. And she was, it is noted that she did sound pretty excitable to where the friend is like, I don't know. Maybe Lisa was involved, as you were suspecting yeah. a minute ago. Maybe just but in the cover-up, though. Maybe. I don't know. But she had said, you know, Lisa called her and was like, my brother just showed up here to take a shower. Thinks that he, they might have murdered somebody. I don't know. He asked Wait, me to throw his clothes did he away. Say yes. Thinks that they? Yes. This is a pronoun that is very I important know. to me right very now. Very important. And... So um, the friend is like, Lisa, you have to report this to the police. You got to call the police. She testified at the trial too, saying, yes, I urged her to call the police. This is what the phone call was. But Lisa is testifying that that friend was going to give her money for her next fix. Oh, so the friend's her dealer. But where's the friend have a motive? Okay. I don't know that she does. That's my point. Like you call your friend up and... You're urging her. She's like, listen, she called me. I urged her to call the police. That's all I know. And Lisa's like, no, no, no. She's going to give me some. So I needed my next fix. Bullshit, Lisa. She's where I got my money from. Bullshit, Lisa. You don't call your drug dealer to get advice. You call your drug dealer to get drugs. 
you call, I call Charnel when I say, so this bad thing happened to me. What do you suggest that I do? <laughs> what would you do, Charnel? <laughs> right. Yeah. So this is, again, somebody you're calling to get your fix from. I call bullshit on that also. I, yes, I do too. And and I really think that the prosecutor thought so too. Yeah. But here we have her testifying what she's testifying to. So the jury is hearing that, right? There's a lot of back and forth with the jury that we've got to consider here. And once the case was handed over to them with those, I have pulled out the, in, you know, the important information here. They took three hours to deliberate and then they were excused for the night. Sure. Okay. You can only go so long. Yep. Gotta let people sleep. The next day, deliberations continued and around lunchtime, they told Commons plea judge Michael that they were deadlocked and they couldn't reach a unanimous decision. So he's like, you know what? Why don't you guys order lunch and just continue to talk and see where we're at? This is absolutely 100% typical as to what I would do when my jury currently appears to be hung. Mm Mm-hmm. It's 5.20 p.m. and they tell the judge that they had reached a verdict. Oh, so they have lunch. They do. Which we allow. Yep. <laughs> and then another five hours go by. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's 5.20, so it's right before the end of the day. They've suddenly reached a verdict. And that verdict for Donnie Kokenauer Jr. was not guilty. All right. I wish I could tell you that I was shocked, Charnel. Yeah. But I, I'm not because you, you poked be. holes in this going through. Right. Especially with the DNA. And so for the jury, they saw those holes and they couldn't convict a man to It's life. beyond a reasonable doubt. It is. That is what the jury has to go on. Beyond a reasonable doubt that this man did this. Did he have means, motive, and opportunity? Yep, he sure did. But the problem is, is that the defense laid out such a strong case for the fact that there are many other people who also had means, motive, and opportunity. When we give, when I give an adjur- a jury instruction on reasonable doubt, I explained to them that it's not beyond all possible doubt, but a doubt using reason and common sense. Mm -hmm. And so when you explain it to them that way, and I believe most states are the same, they could find, they could find out reasonable doubt there in in my opinion. Right. Yeah. We may not like it, but yeah. No, because it seems highly probable, probable, right? I mean, it really, really does. It is. And you just laid that out there perfectly. If this was a probable cause hearing, if this was a preliminary examination to get it up to the felony level to send it on, that is a probable cause standard and it would make it through there. Yeah. But once you're beyond and you get it past clear and convincing and into beyond a reasonable doubt, I can see why the jury did this, whether we like it or not. Right. Because there are other people apparently in her life that wanted harm to come her way, probably because of the situation that her life was in at the time, okay, which is not great. She wasn't in her best place, for sure. No, I do hope the prosecution, and they probably did focus heavily on the fact that where she was found was not far from his home. Well, he didn't have a home. He was homeless. Well, I'm sorry. His Far from where his sister is, where home. he was going to 400 stay. 400 yards. Yeah, my yeah. apologies. But yeah, this is super close. That should have been focused on so much. Not only that, but the railroad tracks where he openly admits they engaged in their fight were, were those? was very close okay. to, it was within yards as well. And I think it matters which side it happened on. So say you're heading in a northward direction Were the railroad tracks south of where she was found on the fence like this was a progression? What I know is that, I see what you're saying, Um, the fence that she was found on was on a dead end road. She had no choice but to 
go over the fence Ugh. is my understanding that had recently just been constructed right, as we know so she purposefully went and or was led down a dead end mm-hmm. road so mm-hmm. it may have been yards 400 yes from where his sister lived yep i uh yeah I know. yeah yeah reasonable doubt is starting to sound a little less likely here but likely here but this was the jury's decision it was now rebecca's family would not comment to any of the media at the trial and i don't blame them also her mom was excused from the court prior to it was actually during the still the trial phase because she was quoted as having um a scene having caused a scene in the hallway in front of the jury and I mean, I don't blame her. This woman is hurting. You know, she lost her baby. Um, so she wasn't permitted back into the court. The judge did describe after the verdict was read, he described to the jury that this case was a very difficult one. Um, the defense attorney, all he did was pat his client on the back like a little, just a couple times like, boy, we won. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been no further arrests in this case. But I do want to end the case with words of, Brian's aunt, who is caring for her, Denise Hughes, that I had talked about earlier, she said, Rebecca did not deserve that, what happened to her. She was always running the streets and always doing the drugs, but she had people who loved her, and I hope she knew that. That's so sad. I know. Sorry, didn't mean to break everybody. No, it's okay. But I I appreciated that Denise was like, listen, and, and I may not love the words she used, always running the streets and always doing the drugs. But well, she I was come, honest. She was. And I come from a social work perspective where I would say, you know, she was clearly struggling with her addiction and not making the best choices for herself at the time. But it doesn't matter. She didn't deserve this. But I loved that she said, I hope she knew that she had people that loved her. This case is incredibly hard. So one, we we have no conviction. It didn't end in one. No, and there still aren't any arrests in yeah, this case. You know why? Because you probably have the person who yeah. needed to have been arrested and he was acquitted. Yeah. And that happens. We can all think of cases, even famous ones, possibly mm-hmm. ones involving football players, where right. the person was acquitted, even yep. though um, in a civil suit, for example, they would lose because yes. there's a different burden of proof. So these cases are sad because it's, it's not an open case anymore. I mean, nope. technically. It's not. And they're ended in an acquittal. And you know most likely who the person was that did it, but that it couldn't be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. And I'm going to say this too, because it's very easy to be judgmental of, of prosecutors um, or even say that they messed up, right? Like mm-hmm. we could have done better. Everybody could do better, by the way, and in I, hindsight. And I will say this. I never actually found information where people felt that way. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. Because they took this case to trial and some don't. Right. You you could have said there are too many loose ends. There are too many people unaccounted for. There's DNA that doesn't match here or that we can't exclude or this person's DNA was only vaginal. It wasn't anywhere else. And they could have chosen not to take it to trial, but they did. Mm-hmm. And they let a jury decide. And again, you guys, it sucks. But whether we like it or not, this is the United States justice system. Mm-hmm. And this is how we have it set up. And he got acquitted. He did. Yeah. I feel so bad for her and her family. And you know who I really feel bad for? Her little her little her baby. baby. Her, her baby. baby who will never know her. He was 15 months old at her death. And, you know, we don't know what her life might have been. She might have been able to bring herself out of her addiction. We know people Lots who do. Lots of people do. That's right. And so it it is just absolutely tragic. But just because of the way she was struggling at the time of her death does not mean that she shouldn't be covered and, and recognized. So I picked her as a random 
case for our Shocktober. I thought it was very. I'm shocked. It was shocking. Yeah. Different the way that. Um, and I actually started to look it up. It's happened several times where dead bodies have been mistaken as Halloween props during Halloween time. I believe I, it. I'm like, oh God, I can see it. At the same time, it might not. Every seem- time I go through a haunted house now, do you I, do you like going to those? You don't like horror. <laughs> I've been to two. One of our Patreons, go. Liz, can tell you about the time that she took me to a terrifying one in Texas. It was like <laughs> the scariest one in Texas. I wouldn't even go to, into the porta john by myself and made her come in into the porta john with me and it almost tipped over. Well, those are inherently scary anyway. I've heard your story on the porta john case, that brain that bath. That was awful. Terrible. <laughs> terrible. So I love those because I am not one who, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge naysayer. Which makes me fun to have around. Yes. Um, I don't get scared. In fact, I'm an asshole at haunted houses because <laughs> one, I don't get scared, but I do love scaring the people that are with me to mm. assist the people unpaid in God, doing their job. This is why I won't take go to one with you. You're gonna, you're gonna. There's one <laughs> We're coming gonna up. Do a live. There's one coming up. Oh my God, we should. <gasps> I know them. You want me to get a hold of them? Yeah, we should. That actually <laughs> would be really funny. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good idea. Anyway, my whole point was, is that when you go through those, sometimes you have such fantastic makeup artists and people who do these really realistic makeup jobs. I have had to look towards and been like, I would totally believe that that is a real dead body. Mm-hmm. What a great cover or way to hide yep. a, a, a murder. You know, there is a case about a 14-year-old worker at a haunted house who wanted to be so authentic that he put himself in a noose. And accidentally. He, and he accidentally hung himself. I and think I've heard of A this. group of people walked by and thought it was a part of the show and didn't help him. And I just oh, couldn't my bring heart. myself to cover that one. Okay. Um, there was there was just no way I was going to get through that one with. Um, okay, I understand. Yeah, and so and we've done so many kid cases lately that I was yeah. like, we need a break. Any of our friends uh, that are podcasters who'd like to cover that case, you have our full yeah. support because we just can't emotionally bring ourselves yep. to do it right yep. now. I'm not strong enough. I've covered too many kid cases lately. So are you going to bathe me? I am going to bathe you. And this bath, actually, I have to give credit to one of our patreons, Tasha, for this. Grits with a Side of Murder. Yes, that I love one. that podcast. Yep. So shameless plug for Grits with a Side of Murder. Yeah, I'll it's plug that. Pod- I love it. It makes me happy in the morning when I get ready for work. Yep, great podcast. So Tasha is one of the co-hosts on that, and she's a Patreon of ours, and she loves to send me brain baths, which I adore. And this one is from Monique.com. It's called, Here are our top stories about the most epic Karen tantrums. Karen tantrum. Karen tantrum. Love me some Karen. Which I gotta tell you, I mean, I'm not gonna say that I've never been a Karen. We've all been a Karen. All right. Um, most recently we've had it's been a struggle in our house. I'll tell you my own Karen tantrum. <laughs> uh it's been a struggle in our house. My senior in high school, Jacob, dislocated his shoulder extensively that required surgery just a week ago. And we went for the follow-up surgery. They gave him 12 pain pills. He took all 12 pain pills, no problem, whatever. But it was a pretty extensive surgery. So I thought it was odd that he only had 12. Yeah. We go, that was on a Thursday. We went last Monday for his follow-up and the physician's assistant um, was like, well, how is he doing on his pain meds? I was like, oh, well, you know, we finished them yesterday. Everything's good. And he goes, literally, what'd you do with the rest of them? Are you kidding so- me? They're so used to people I'm sorry. abusing things. I'm sorry. What did you just say to me? What did I do with the rest of them? I did nothing with them. My son took them for his extensive shoulder surgery. As prescribed. Yep. And that's it. And he's like, no, 
do the math, which reminded me of the do the math, do the homework, do the homework. I ain't I no know. duct tape bandit. I can't. <laughs> it reminded it's me. It's in my head. It reminded me so much of that. Oh, sorry, I just kicked oh, the table. That's okay. I liked it. And so, um, I said, nope. Yeah, y'all gave us twelve. He's like, no, not for this surgery. This is, um, you know, every six hours he should have been given 28 pills, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, you know, go check it. Cause no, he didn't. He got 12. That's got what we 12. filled. So he leaves the room, slams the door when he leaves the room, comes back in and says, well, isn't that just so weird? They only did give him 12. And I said, and now I'll accept my apology. Waiting. And I'm staring at him and he's staring at me. And I said, you just accused me of doing something with my child's opioids I'll take my apology now amen sister and he goes well I mean you know it was just the things that you were saying the math wasn't adding up and I said oh no I know all about the math yeah we do the math yeah um, see my math but ended at 12 you, the sum of right you owe me an apology and I said and furthermore I'm gonna make damn sure that the doctor never puts me on your service again because this was the physician assistant. Yeah. And then he was like, well, you know, blah, 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 whatever. I'm like, okay, well, we know. we're going to be leaving now. And you have a fabulous day, but I won't be seeing you again. And also, I'm going to be letting the hospital know how much I didn't appreciate the way yeah. you treated us so today. When you Thanks. when you respond, I feel like the new response is, and I saw this online, you have the day you deserve. Yeah. And then we let karma and then sort that shit just out. Just go ahead. But then I find out in hindsight, a whole bunch of other people had problems with this PA's uh, arrogant attitude, shall okay. we say. So I did file a complaint with the hospital. of, um, And then I get it. How Me many, too. We've worked so much, but that's not how you handle this. No, you verify you, first. You do. Go call the pharmacy. This stuff is so traceable now. It Before is. Before you just come at me. You come and in say, the room. What'd you do with knowing them? Knowing he would have come mm-hmm. in the room and he would have known whether there are 27 or 12 pills prescribed. Yep. That is within their realm, their wheelhouse. Yep. They should and can and have access to know that. Yep. So before an accusation, you have the info. Right. Instead, he just jumped right to assumptions and literally looked me in the eye and said, what did you do with the other pills? Um, I have so many your smart dick a- in your ass, man. I have so many smart ass answers for that. Uh, it was it was so bad. So I am not going to sit here and give you this brain bath today and act like I've never been a Karen. But I, as most Karens probably do, feel like it was justified at the time. Tell me okay. how these Karens felt justified, Charnel. So this is this was wrote in by a, a, a worker, a restaurant worker. He said, as the new guy, I was given the task of opening up the restaurant. This means arranging tables and setting them up, stocking the bar and waiters and the waiter's station, counting the register and confirming reservations for the day. Before anyone else, anyone else on staff shows up to work, a loud knock comes at our locked front door. I go to see who's there and two elderly women want to come in and be seated for service. I tell them we open at 1130 and they weren't having it. They waited to be seated. They wanted to be seated now. They have a group on which was set to expire and they demanded service. They insisted our website stated we opened at 1030. I told them we couldn't have people in the restaurant while we were setting up, but we'd be happy to care for them when we open. They asked me if I was a manager. I said no. And they replied how I look too stupid to be a manager. Oh my. They then proceeded to seat themselves in our outdoor patio area. 
fine. They were out of my way so I could proceed with my tasks. And the doors are locked and they're outside. Except they decided to start calling the restaurant. (sighs) The phone would ring. I would go over to pick it up and they would swear at me. I would hang up and they would do it again. After the third or fourth time, I just let the phone ring. The other older lady got up and just started pounding on the door to be let in while the other was on the phone letting it ring. What? How old are these women? They're described as older, which by a a kid. So they were probably 38. (laughs) (laughs) At this point, the other waiter on schedule shows up and asks what's going on. I explain and he goes out to tell them the same things that I did. And they give him the same treatment. (laughs) 11.30 rolls around. The kitchen is up and ready for service. And we are ready for service. The two old ladies barge in and shove their Groupon in my coworker's face, to which he replies, ma'am, our establishment does not accept Groupons. Fucking amazing. (laughs) Oh my God. If you had read the name and address of the restaurant the Groupon is attached to and compared it to the name of our restaurant on the front door that you've been pounding on for the past hour, you would have discovered that you're at the wrong restaurant. This is the best. This is karma. They slink off, but it doesn't end there. They went online and posted a A bad review. Yeah. They posted a review about what a horrible restaurant experience they had, how we were infested with rats and how we should all be fired. They never were in the restaurant. They weren't. What nasty little possibly middle-aged bitches. That's a tree squirrel. We don't That is a squirrel because you were outside. You were sitting on the outdoor patio. you were not allowed access. An hour early. Those are those bad reviews that I love when the restaurant responds to the bad review and and breaks it all open like, ma'am, you weren't allowed in here. You had the bad restaurant. I'm sorry. You had the wrong restaurant. Mm -hmm. We don't even accept Groupon. And that's not a rat. That's a squirrel. Right. Right. That is the best. We should do a whole brain bath episode for our Patreons. On bad reviews. We should. So much fun. Yes. I could read a couple of my own. Well, I hope (laughs) so. Not ones that I've written. I mean, ones that have been about. Can we write them about ourselves? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No press is bad press. Right. My favorite was the person who thought I, that we had sided with a convicted, a convicted, a convicted child abuser, abuser, because they didn't listen to the full episode. Well, you know, sometimes when you listen for two minutes, you have the whole story, like <laughs> yes. like Paul Harvey. <laughs> and why were you examining so that true. bottle so closely, Jesus? Because I was like, "What the hell?" Thirteen point nine alcohol by oh, volume. I needed to look it. at the ABV. Well, I've had two I needed to see where I was at. Let here. me fix this for you. Yes, please, while, uh, please I'm, pour I'm pouring me. you while you continue. I'll give you one more here. Good. Oh no, this is a mask one. I bet there was so much shit that happened during one. the mask mandate. Oh, okay. Ooh. You had me confused for a minute. I'm like, like with Jim Carrey, the mask. No, it was a great movie. What? <laughs> Super lighthearted. <laughs> It said, um, it says, with everything going on right now, masks are mandatory in our stores unless the person has a severe medical condition. Oh, I feel like I know where this is going. With Corona active, the law is that masks are mandatory in all stores unless, of course, you have a severe medical condition. We have a fair share of people that come in just covering their mouth with their noses fully exposed. When I see them, I have to say, hi, how are you? Please make sure your mask is covering your nose. This male Karen, who I'll call Ken, comes to my register with his nose exposed and I kindly remind him that covering his nose is necessary. He proceeds to tell me that he has asthma. I told him that that would be a common courtesy to use at the self-checkout lane. Like, you know, 
If you have asthma, can't cover your nose, go to the self-checkout lane. While I'm cashing him out, he is yelling about he, how he cannot breathe properly under his mask and he will not stop. So he can't breathe, but he's breathing well enough to bitch about how he can't breathe. Oh, I love when people use uh, asthma as an excuse. Yeah. Finally, I've had enough and I have a long line with customers um, who are wearing their masks properly. And I, hel- I tell him, do you see all these people? You think they're wearing a mask for enjoyment? They're being considerate of your health. The least you can do is show them the same consideration instead of being so entitled. He then changes the subject and says, I've seen employees many times without any masks. I've had, I've even seen you without a mask and I have proof, proof. You're lucky I haven't posted this on social media. Of course. I tell Ken, clearly this is so important to you, even though you can't seem to comprehend how to wear a mask properly. So post away. No one is stopping you. Then he is left speechless and is like, well, you have yourself a great day. And he leaves and I hear him muttering some curse words on his way out. I've had enough of these fraudsters that try to pretend they have a medical condition that exempts them from a mask. From a mask. I know he was lying because people who truly have those medical conditions don't act defensive. They just simply let us know. This Ken kept going on and on about how he has difficulty breathing, repeating the same things so many times. With the guy I had, he was acting very defensive, just as, as being a, advised that he should be using self-checkout. It's that entitled attitude. It's saying that he doesn't give, that he doesn't give care that he's exposing himself. We have customers who have medical conditions, but they are very aware of their surroundings and use the self-checkout so they don't get too close to others, which is a good point that this writer raises. It's a great point. Only the people who are freaking out and being defensive are probably the ones without them. And And being, yeah, being completely non-political here because I'm, I mean, people who know me know my own opinions on this, but I don't even need to express one. This is just simple. This is, this is the truth. It is a private business yeah. and they can make whatever rules they want and you can either choose to follow their rules or don't. Or don't. Shop there. Right. Easy. It's very easy. It is very easy. And so male Karen, Ken, mm-hmm. Ken, which I like. Are male Karens Kens? I guess so. Okay. I would have called him a Matt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or Jason. A Matt or a Jason. Another very common name. We love our husbands so much. Right. And friend Jason, who doesn't Mm. fall in either of those categories. No, definitely not. Yeah. Yep. You know, I feel like most of these are so restaurant oriented that I just want to, if you are working in a restaurant, in the restaurant industry, maybe even listening from your restaurant industry, we love you. We have respect for you. We know people are dicks. And I'm just so sorry. My two oldest are both involved heavily in the restaurant industry. My one that's in college, that's just like how she makes her means, right? While she's in college, but my oldest, that's her career. And so she deals with that crap every day. Yeah. I, I, I mean, when I was in CPS, I got treated like crap daily, Of course, but I expect that because I'm meeting people at their worst. Yeah. Right? So every person who I deal with, I know is probably having the worst day of their life yeah. and they're going to react based off of how I treat them. Mm-hmm. So with me, Absolutely. it's always, uh, things are always going to start off good for you. Yeah. Things are never going to take a turn unless you turn the steering wheel Yeah. or fail to put the blinker on, which bus, is unforgivable. Baby. <laughs> 
Yep. That's exactly where I'm at. Right. But people in the restaurant industry, like, we get that you're hungry, but there is no reason to treat people that way. No, it's frustrating. A uh, majority of those stories are. This next one says, my mom used to run restaurants. My stepfather used to be a chef in a high-end restaurant, and he is the kind of guy who expects to be treated better than he is currently being treated, regardless of whatever that treatment is. They are not fun to go out to eat with. No. My wife and I pride ourselves on being a relief table when we go out to eat. Both of us have been servers, and there's always that counterpoint to the difficult table, which is us. Us. Yeah. Bearing horrible service or bad food, we are super easy customers. We tip well, and we try to have a good time with our server. Furthermore, we just treat people nicely. So if you can imagine our disdain when my parents act like they're royalty at a dinner service. I've been to dinner with people like this. It might be my family. <laughs> my wife and I went out to dinner with them and they were particularly tough. My, my mom was acting like she was Gordon Ramsay, <laughs> analyzing the business, critiquing everything down to the amount of bubbles in her seltzer. She said, quote, What is it, a fucking bubble bath? <laughs> what the hell? There are only 1,099 bubbles in this seltzer and everyone knows a good seltzer has at least 1,100. She said, it looks like it's time to change the CO2. My stepdad was getting more and more heated over stupid things like the amount of ice in his drink and how the waitress didn't tap off his water fast enough. He was barely sipping on it. It came to a head when my stepfather ordered a steak medium well. Nope. Fuck the steaks. I won't eat steaks with no. people who work in the restaurant no. industry. Make them at home. And he says, and it came back medium well. Yeah. For some reason... He changed his mind that he wanted it medium rare while it was cooking and they didn't read his mind. So he gave attitude, as did my mom. They jumped. I'm quick. sorry. Did a chef just decide they wanted medium well instead, instead of medium, of medium rare? rare. Mm -hmm. That isn't a chef, no. sir. They wanted it medium rare, but he ordered it medium well. He fucked up when he ordered. Ordered. Exactly. That's what happened. Yep. Because no real chef orders, orders a medium, medium well. well. Nope. They jumped really quickly to demanding free stuff. Oh. I'm an adult. This may be the first time they realized this. I interrupted them in front of the server and said something like, really? That is what you're doing? That is what you ordered. I turned to the server and said, we do not need anything comped. I then pulled out my wallet and handed my card and said, this is for the bill. We'll happily wrap up what we've what we have here i'm very sorry for their behavior you're doing great shit he said this in front of his parents yeah then i uttered the line that stung them so deeply they still bring it up years later <laughs> i said quote i was taught to treat people nicely a lesson that seems to be forgotten thank you end quote like you guys taught me this yes yeah and but you you're haven't not, taken you're your not own acting. advice. Yep. My parents turned red, red. The server walked away. I looked down and cut my steak and didn't say a word. They were so flabbergasted that the meal was virtually silent. <laughs> silent, except me asking my stepfather how his steak was a few minutes later. God bless you. That's just funny. Oh, I would God. do that. Yeah, yeah. I would yeah. never have to do that because my parents and in-laws are so freaking sweet. But in general, mm -hmm. I would do that if I was out with somebody who embarrassed me like that. Yeah, I would too. I have never, I don't yell at or and or get annoyed with people in the service industry. Mm -mm. 
I may be annoyed with my situation and I can express that to them, but I'm always incredibly thankful because I know that it never, it's not their fault what has happened. No. So, and you catch more flies with sugar, honey. You sure do. Always. Also, I don't want spit or jizz on my steak. I feel like if I eat here locally, it's probably bound to happen and I just have to be okay with it. But if I don't know, and I'm still nice to people... I mean, it's a, there's kindness in that spit and just someday when I get to heaven, I'm going <laughs> to ask the big guy, just tell me how many times I ate somebody's spit or jizz and didn't know it. And just I tell feel me. like, and he's going to be like 532 and it had nothing to do with you. They were having a bad day. Right. <laughs> so that's why you're allowed into I heaven. I have never, what you have a bad day is that gives you right to purposely ejaculate into somebody's mashed potatoes. I've heard stories. It's happened. Has and nothing with, to do with the customer and everything to do with how their personal day was going. And that with that day. being said, I hope none of you are eating out tonight. <laughs> no kidding. And that's all, folks. Have a great day. Bye-bye. <laughs> Don't have cream with your coffee. <laughs> oh, God. All right. We'll talk to you all next time. If you would like to binge more content from us, though, feel free to go over to patreon.com slash crime curious. Follow us on social media. That actually helps us get seen by people who like true crime. So we are crime.curious on Instagram, crime curious podcast on Facebook and at curious crime on Twitter. I just did all that without fucking up. How it's proud beautiful. are you of I me? I was super proud of you. I watched your mouth the whole time. It's fantastic. No editing. Nope, none here. All right, you guys, we hope you keep it curious. And until next time, bye-bye. bye-bye.